This is Antonio Giovinazzi. Nobody ahead of him and leading a Grand Prix at the same time. Hello and welcome to the Undercut Podcast. We are back after a little hiatus, but not too much of one, for the Singapore Grand Prix. This time we'll be previewing it. My name is T. Barbers Daly and I am joined, as always, by my excellent co-hosts, Jesse Billington and Ellie Mae Taylor. Jesse, how are you this evening? I'm I'm doing pretty good. Had a had a busy little day. It's been press day again at Classic Car Weekly. I've had a phone call with Richard Hammond. I've I've been all over the shop. Good one. Billy Boy, how about yourself? I'm good, thank you. Have you upgraded your whole system? It looks like you've now got a microphone. Was she not here last week, Jesse? She wasn't. She was still on her race band. Well, she wasn't for the F2 and the F3. No, it's because it was introduced for that podcast. Yeah. That's why. Yeah. Yes, I have upgraded slightly to help with the sound quality. So, yes, thank you for noticing. Hopefully the um, one guy that comments on our YouTube videos will actually notice this and will stop <laughs> commenting on it religiously every week. It was week. quite amusing to see that continuity through. So well, the one good thing is to... His name, but it's very appreciated that you comment Who, and it? that you are making us better. Us. Last lap something or pit lane something, but whoever you are, Thank you, because what it is, is it's interaction with our content, which promotes it on the YouTube algorithm. So we're not complaining. Please keep commenting. One thing before we actually get cracking with serious stuff, do we want to go back through where we found all the listeners are around the world? Or do we want to save that for when we've actually got nothing to talk about? Save that when we've got nothing, we'll to, talk got nothing to talk probably... about. Oh, the, gap between Japan, the gap between Japan and America. We've got a, a gap there we need to fill, so we can, we can do... There we go. What we'll do... We can edit this bit out and no, we'll go back to it. No, what we'll do is we'll use now to announce, if you are a listener and want to email in or message into the podcast, we've got social medias, we've got emails, we've got a Patreon as well, so you can give us money. Get in touch with us and we will answer your questions on the episode that goes out between Japan and America. There we are, content filled. Excellent. Now we can smoothly segue into what the hell has happened. And it's been a couple of weeks, and we do actually have some news, which is quite good, because it means this isn't just going to be a very short and sweet segment. First up, Robert Schwartzman is going to drive Ferrari in FP1 in Austin, part of one of their mandatory rookie-slash-non-permanent drivers that gets to race, well, gets to race, gets a test session at least. And it's good to see him back on the grid. And we think we touched upon this in our F2 podcast for the triple header a couple of weeks ago by the time you listened to this. Um, well deserved, Jesse. Yeah, it's a, a well-earned drive. He's a decent little wheelsmith and it'll be good to see him get back behind the seat of a, of this year's spec Ferrari. I say this year's because both he and Antonio Giovinazzi did some testing at Fiorano in, I want to say, the 2019-2018 chassis. Again, just to keep a feel in it, development and all that and just sort of keep them within the Ferrari fold. So... Yeah, it'd be nice to nice to see him back out on circuit and uh, getting to drive in the big league as well. He's been given the Ferrari as opposed to sort of handed a Haas or an Alfa Romeo to do the Ferrari engine work at least. So that's it's interesting as well that which teams choose which drivers to do these sessions because you can tell if they're prioritizing development or if they're wanting to promote potentially drivers into either the junior teams that they have links with or into their own team in the future. You see with. Nick DeFries, for example, he's testing at everything and is more likely to get a seat, whereas Robert Schwartzman, as much as we, we like him, his chances for a seat anywhere in F1 anytime soon don't look great, but at least he keeps himself relevant by being in the development side of things. Yeah, it sort of keeps him busy, keeps his sort of foot in the door, keeps his name sort of one regularly seen around the Ferrari offices. And it was interesting when you introduced this news point that you mentioned non-permanent drivers, because weirdly enough, Alfa Romeo, at the start of the year, ticked off one of their FP1 drives for a rookie, because Guan Yu Zhou drove for them in FP1, that race, and because he was a rookie, 
he immediately counted as their rookie FP1 drive, which also means that the year before Haas ticked both of their seats off in one hit, which was quite clever of them. But yeah, it was interesting that... It's probably the only clever thing they did in 2021, admittedly, but... Uh, yeah, because this year, it was this year they cancelled their Mazepin contract, so, but that was that was quite clever of them, but yeah. But anyway, yeah, it's just an interesting little point to make that Guan Yu Zhou has technically done a rookie test drive despite not being a rookie this year, or at least post-Saudi Arabia was no longer a rookie. Yours is the next section. Oh, mine is the next section. Um, but Mylander makes wine. This is a fun little news article I stumbled across. Uh, the, he, he grows wine in uh, Germany, which is quite interesting. He grows a red and a white, and they look quite nice, actually. Uh, the white especially looks like a fairly decent Riesling. So, uh, Bernd, if you're listening, I'm a food journalist, or used to be, uh, send me some wine. It's interesting how many F1 people make wine, because Danny Rick makes it. You can buy DR3. It's like an Australian, I want to say it's a Shiraz. Look, again, looks pretty good. It's very expensive. Very expensive, as is the glass decanter you can get which is the shape of his racing boot so you can do a shoey of an entire bottle of red wine which i'm not against to be fair I know, I know a friend of the podcast who i'm trying to talk into buying one of those and when they we bring them on as a guest to this podcast i'm hoping that she'll have bought it by then because that would be quite a silly thing to spend money on but i really wanted to have done that. i really wanted it as well when we had when food tribe used to be a thing i was sort of hoping to try and get some editorial budget to buy it and test it but did not come of anything yeah, test it, keep it, have it, and enjoy it. Uh, Joni Schechter also makes wine. He also makes mozzarella, but that's not really important. I'll move on to... Goes well with the wine, it, though. With a good white, I suppose it would, yeah. Um, I'll let Ellie May take the next news point, because I'm, I'm just going to talk about wine otherwise. <laughs> yes, thank you. It was announced last Thursday, I think, the 22nd, that Yuki Tsunoda will remain with AlphaTauri next year. I think with questions surrounding whether Gasly will remain at AlphaTauri next year, the team probably wanted to bring some stability in securing Yuki, who isn't a risk of sort of bringing a new person in. Uh, he has made a lot of improvement this year, I guess in comparison to last year. He, def he definitely started the season strong, but I also think he has a long way to go still in maturing. And how long do AlphaTauri want to keep him there and... Looking at him as a driver now, I'm not sure how long a future he has in years to come. And sort of, do you see him having a long-term future? I think it's the problem of he's staying there for another season because none of the people in F2 are ready to make the jump up yet. They're not going to do anything with Darubula. Lawson could still be in F1 next year, depending on what happens with Gasly. So they need that stability whilst they could bring someone in who would be most qualified for it. But the, everyone else in F2 that they have at the moment, they all need at least another year. So maybe he's just, for lack of a better phrase, a seat warmer for them, whilst the F2 lot get more time under the belt and the people in F3 that are impressing them, such as Isaac Hadjar, because Christian Horner was singing his praises on F1 Beyond the Grid this last week, um, get into F2 get them going a bit so that when it comes to 24 and 25 they can go back to what they kind of did in 18 and 19 and 20 and just throw six drivers at two seats and see what happens so i think yuki definitely a make or break year next year him and if he does really well that's going to cause a lot of problems for red bull but that's a great problem to have at the same time 
yeah, it'd be nice to see Yuki do well next year. I re- he's definitely come on a long way as a driver. He's really sort of honed it and finessed us to sort of what he's doing. He's found his motivation, his feet, his form, and it's good. It's good to hear. But the interesting thing is that this actually leaves Pierre Gasly. He's probably ready and already has like paperwork ready with Alpine, which is where everyone's sort of guessing he's going to move to. But the thing that's holding him up is whether or not Alpha Tauri can find someone to fill in for him when he moves. He's got a space that he's got to hand in but he's currently being clung onto by his old team because they haven't got anyone to replace him yet, which is kind of interesting. So he's sort of being hamstrung by the the super license point system, which means that AlphaTauri weren't able to snap up Colton Herter or haven't yet been able to finagle their way into snapping him up. There are ways of getting Colton Herter enough super license points before the end of the season. You can literally chuck him in every goddamn race series there is. And by the end of, I think, the by Christmas, he'll have enough points to have a super license which means that he could do the... He could be in Formula 1 by next season, but whether or not Alpha... That is a lot of money to throw at a driver that, as promising a talent as he is, is not necessarily everyone's first choice of who you'd snatch from IndyCar and put into F1. So it's maybe thinking, we'll let this happen naturally, and then we'll have another look at that next year when it... If we do still need to get him some extra supplies points, it'll be cheaper and quicker. Yeah, they can put him into a Eurospec series. They can stick him in an F2 seat. They can probably find an F2 seat somewhere. They can stick him in a DTM thing. They can stick him in Formula E. They can find something and get him to do FP1 drives and all sorts here and there to get the points. Because he's got most of them. That's the thing. IndyCar does contribute to your super license points. And he obviously, but it's also the fact that his old GP4 from UK GP4 points will be expiring as well. So they need to hurry up and get those new ones in before the old ones expire so he's got them all at the right point to get his super license so we'll have to wait and see what he does there but it's just interesting that basically Gasly's being pulled into a seat that's good but being held up by a vacuum behind him that he's creating almost which is weird but kind of interesting what is weird and interesting as well is next year's calendar which has been released 24 Grand Prix which is really pushing it now and in terms of also pushing it, it's frustrating, is the polite word, with less expletives. You've got Spa in July, which is just nonsense. You've got a supposedly climate-friendly approach that sees them going from, what was it, Austin to Qatar to Vegas or something similar, something along those lines, and then Brazil to Abu Dhabi as well, to kind of mess it all about there. It's well, all messy. Do we not head got... down through the Americas, then go back to Vegas, then to Brazil no, or something? Com... It's... Canada's it... also in Europe. Yeah, Canada's still yeah, in Europe. I was going to say way. about that, yes, Canada, yeah, they, they go Baku, Canada, Monaco, so to put... then go to Miami or something, and then back to Spain. And Just put Canada at the point beginning is, of the Even if that's American not totally bank. accurate, it is just messy all over, and supposedly for people that were going to group races together to make it a little bit more environmentally friendly they've just decided to do the opposite of limitless and decided to use zero percent of their brain and isn't isn't spa um as well isn't there already a race going on that weekend they haven't actually liaised with spa Spa. no one else is (laughs) there they've double booked a racetrack potentially be problematic i i agree with you there really man <laughs> honestly given how bad the planning is i wouldn't be surprised if they've accidentally double booked spa or something they sort of rock up and there's already like moto gp or something else is there and they're sort of going sorry it says on the excel spreadsheet we've got spa this weekend 
It it reminds right. me a little bit of the second Harry Potter film where they're arguing over Quidditch practice. It's like, but I've got a note from Professor Snape, so we're allowed to have priority here. And it's like, no, if one, that's not how this works. Yeah, yeah, they they were here first. You can tell because their caravans are all in the park. Um, you will have to see. How... Quite frustrating, anyway. Yeah, and it's, it's not very well. Arguably, we, I was I was talking with friend of the podcast Jacob Phillips about how many more races could they possibly add, and you've got to think if they add even one more. That's 25, and that would be the equivalent of one every two weeks for the entire duration of the year, then. And 24 is already with some, I want to say, sizable, sizable as much as they can be for F1 gaps in there for next year. And it's just going to be absolute nightmare for organization, for energy, for tiredness, for everything, really. And it's that's just the drivers. That's not even mm. thinking about all the people behind the scenes and the gap. Yeah. Yeah. And. It just, it's kind of like they heard all of our criticism and ideas and they took it all on board and then they threw it away in a bin and decided, no, we'll do this instead. Well, no, they took all of our criticism and accidentally mislabeled it as compliments and said, okay, so this is what we need to do. And just simply piled in more and moved it all around in a bad order. Move Canada to the beginning of the Americas leg, shuffle everything a bit further forward so you get to Canada around sort of mid to late September time. And then move, obviously, when you go to Singapore and Japan to earlier on in the year, when you're going through that side of the globe coming out of Australia. That way, at least you get decent weather in Canada. Singapore and Japan doesn't particularly matter. Japan might be a bit cold and damp, but when isn't it in October anyway? So you're not really changing anything there. If anything, it's nicer because you've got the spring blossoms. Canada, you probably even get decent weather in September. Yeah. And then obviously you plow one, and then you do your Miami, then you do your uh, Texas, then you do Vegas, then you head down Mexico, Brazil, and then you finish off in Abu Dhabi, if you really insist on having Abu Dhabi on the calendar. But there's, obviously China's back on the list for next year, which was mm-hmm. interesting. Obviously France is gone, Monaco has moved to a slightly different week, I think it's no longer the end of May. Spain is now in June. Yeah, Spain is in a different point. Spar is in July, Vegas and Qatar are there. And interestingly, Qatar, it's, again, they're supposedly building another track for it, but in the meantime, we'll go and use this perfectly good one over here that means we shouldn't need to build a new one. But yeah, I don't mind the LaSalle circuit. It was a good track when we no, used I can't it. Like it. MotoGP is usually pretty decent there. But Spain moving to where it is in the calendar now, Spain's usually fairly on in the calendar in a fairly warm day. It's going to be interesting to see. It's going to be hell on the tyres in June, I think. Yeah, it's going to be like we Singapore may see levels some of day. kind of explosions. Which... Well, I guess it's kind of taken over France. Mm. Where France used to be sort of your hot tyres, your tyre degradation race, which uh, potentially Spain might be able to throw out a slightly more interesting race than France. It's weird that we're now battling out what's going to be The bar is not high, to be honest. It's not a high bar, but I don't know. It could be. We'll wait and see, but yeah. New calendar is here. Mind you, speaking of something that we were talking about, France leaving, um, not the only thing that's leaving ahead of next year. Yes, sadly, Williams have announced that they and Nicholas Latifi are parting ways at the end of the season. I think as much as it pains me to say, because Nicholas Latifi is a great guy, I don't think it comes as any surprise as Alex Albon has outshone him this whole season, and I think Nick DeFries' brilliant performance in Monza was just the final nail in the coffin for Latifi. He really hasn't gelled with the new spec car at-, at all, and he hasn't done a good enough job. But what I will say, out of the positives of it, is that I think 
Williams have actually handled it very well. They've had the decency to tell Latifi that he won't be carrying on this season, uh, next season, and and they've sort of announced it. They've left it. They haven't sort of announced a driver, and that's how he's found out that he's leaving the team. They've sort of given it space to breathe that he's leaving. So well done, Williams, for dealing with it so well. I don't know about you, Jess, but I'm picking up on some McLaren hate there, potentially, <laughs> no. or some aggro from Ellie May there that's maybe a little bit left over. I'm not 100% sure, though. You, you tell me it's, for here. It's not so much hate, but it, it's sort of needling McLaren. Disappointment? It's, yeah, it's poking the big orange bear that is Zach Brown and just sort of going, see, that's how you let drivers go when they're loved, but not really that good. Um and you could picture him as Winnie the Pooh, quite. You, you can. He is sort of a Winnie the Pooh character, just sort of bumbling along, quite, quite beloved. Just found him in the back of the garage, just wearing a t-shirt and nothing else. Oh eating God, could you imagine honey. Zach Brown waking up after an absolute rager of a night, hung over, stood at the back of the McLaren garage, wearing nothing but a slightly too tight-fitting t-shirt, just sort of stood. And there is your stinger for the episode. <laughs> His hand stuck in a, a jar of something, just sort of like, where the hell am I? Oh God, and just. That, that's actually quite funny. If someone could draw that, if like one of our listeners could draw that and send it to me, chef's kiss, thank you very much. Um, but yeah, Williams, I think they've treated it with decorum. It's quite nice to see how they've sort of treated him, especially given how much of a, I don't want to say positive impact, but support Latifi has been for the team financially. There's no point trying to deny it over the past few years. He's been a... They've given him a fair shake of the stick and he's known that he's not always been up to scratch, but he's not they've not been under any illusions with each other about what's going on. There, they've both which yeah, been very honest with each other about the situation. I I don't think they're parting ways under bad intent here and they will have likely sort of given him a glowing review and said, Off you go, go enjoy IndyCar. You're welcome back into the paddock anytime. You're a nice enough guy. Thanks for the Nutella and he's just gonna go off and make organic Nutella on a farm like F1 drivers sometimes go and make organic stuff as we touched on with Jody Schechter and his mozzarella yeah I think they've well it seems like they've left it on good terms but I think not trying to move on too quickly from, from Paul Latifi but who is going to replace him probably Nick Nevis to be fair it should be DeFreeze. I mean, everyone keeps talking about Logan Sargent and he does have the FP1 session in Austin, but I think he needs another year in F2 and it would be risking... Everyone's looking for the next Max Verstappen without realising that you need to be a Max Verstappen kind of quality and nothing against Logan. He's probably and is a good driver and is possibly, God makes him a great driver, but he's already, if we're comparing them age-wise... He's already not doing anything near as much as Max was doing at his age. So you're already fighting a losing battle there. So really, just take the time an extra year, develop the driver, get the job done. This is the other odd aspect of Nick DeVries, as you forget. He's actually quite old. Well, I say quite old compared to the likes of like the, the Twitch Quartet. He's a good two exactly. years older than them. He's 27, I think. Yeah. He doesn't look Correct. it because he's about the size of an eight-year-old and has quite a babyish face. But the fact is, he's he's not a young driver. 27 puts him around the same age as Nico Hülkenberg. And you've got to bear in mind how tumultuous Hülkenberg's career had already been at this point. And admittedly, yes, uh, De Vries has gone off and done Formula E and become a world champion in his own right there. Congratulations. But when you're stepping into F1, doing it age 27... It's a bit like... Got points on debut. Yeah, points on debut. Credit where it's due. In a Williams. But it's a bit like, who was that chap that popped back up in F2 despite being a trillion years old compared to the rest of the field? What was his face? 
yes, Luca Giotto. Luca Giotto. No, Roberto Moreno, wasn't it? Oh, Roberto Moreno, yes. yes. That's happened several times this season, so yeah. forgive me. For... Where he pops up being middle-aged and doing F2, and you're thinking, hello. But again, I think this is... It's just a weird thing. Potentially F1 is becoming less age-oriented. Perhaps that's why we're seeing drivers like Alonso stick around into the age they're getting to. Well, I think the problem... I think the problem that Nick de Vries has was there were, at the time when he became F2 world champion, there was only one seat in F1 and that was given to Latifi because he had the money behind him. And... I mean, Latifi wasn't a bad driver then as well. He did come second to De Vries. So, but De Vries then was like, well, I'll just go straight into Formula E then because I don't see my chances in Formula 1. And now it's come up. And now I think he's definitely going to get a seat. I also don't see why AlphaTauri don't look at him as well. I think possibly... Well, if the rumours are to be believed, they possibly are. They might do, but equally they've got the problem with the fact that he's very Mercedes-linked. If you look at all the teams he's done FP1 drives for so far, they've all got Mercedes power units. He's been in the paddock being sort of Toto's mini-me, quite literally, for how many race weeks this season. There are links there that potentially Red Bull... I'm waiting for the calendar with those two to come out for next year. It would be like um, oh Arnold Schwarzenegger and Danny DeVito in Twins. If you could have, if someone could remake the poster of that with uh, Toto Wolf and Nick DeVries, I think again, you know what you're doing tomorrow, Jesse. I haven't got time to Photoshop that, but I'm sure, and I'm not very good at Photoshop. But if there is someone listening who is, please Photoshop it and send it to us. We'll put it on the socials. We'll tag you in it because I reckon, yeah, Nick DeVries, Toto Wolf, twins, Danny DeVito, Schwarzenegger parody would be quite funny. Speaking of things that Talking are quite funny or weird, older blokes coming back to F1. Flavio Briatore is back with a role on the commercial side of the sport and apparently an office right next door to Dominicali when they get to Grand Prix circuits. And what's even more amusing about this news is that it comes at Singapore. And you've got to think, someone in the marketing department must have noticed that and just didn't notice. Or just decided, this will be funny for someone else to have to deal with. And it's an interesting one because Briatore went from... Lots and lots of success to you're indefinitely banned from Formula One to, okay, you're not, but you also have now said that you never want to come back to the sport to, I'm coming back to the sport. So It's a very Flavio Briatore approach to things. I think he still manages Fernando Alonso as well, weirdly enough. But would explain a few it, things. Yeah, well, I thought I know he's definitely still in contact with Alonso in some sort of professional capacity. But yeah, for younger listeners, the reason why Briatore was banned from Formula One was because of Crashgate, um, which involved basically them fixing the outcome of a race by having one of their drivers crash in an inoperable or inrescuable area of the Singapore circuit. Which, amusingly, the driver in question probably didn't need too much encouragement to crash because it makes Nicholas Latifi look like an absolute a reliable driver. Gem yeah, when it comes it, to it was, reliability. Um, Nelson Piquet Jr. Nelson Piquet Jr. I knew it was one of the iconic names, but a junior, wasn't it? And hmm. yeah, so he all the all the talent of the name taken away by the junior side of it. Yeah, he stuck it in the wall and essentially secured Fernando Alonso a win in ooh, 2008. Eight. Yeah, it was, wasn't it? Which is quite a, it was just sort of an interesting move. And it was Alonso had returned to Renault at that point as well, which he sort of returned mm-hmm. to this year as well. He's back at Renault rather. 
Um, so yeah, a lot of a lot of the right bricks falling into the Cue right places. All of the conspiracy theories coming out if Ocon has any kind of boo boo this weekend. Oh, could you imagine if it's the other way around? If Alonso drops it to because Ocon is higher than him in the standings at the moment. Somehow, yeah. Yeah, it's just yeah. it's just esty bestie brilliance. Um, so if if Alonso is sort of drops it at a slightly suspicious location on the circuit and Esteban Ocon retains a podium finish or something, it's uh, it's going to be an interesting one. Mind you, not that Renault have a good record around the circuit. Um, that we'll get we'll touch on that in the next section. On a side note, did you know he dated Naomi Campbell? What Flavio Briatore? Yeah. <laughs> what? Yeah. 1998 to 2003 and then he dated Heidi Klum the year after he also partly owned and was the chairman of Queen Park Rangers the QPR thing doesn't surprise me as much but the fact that he dated but the Naomi Campbell Naomi Campbell with Heidi Klum yeah <sighs> well <laughs> Is this where we put the song over the podcast of Money, Money, Money by ABBA? Yeah, if I were a rich man, which he, he is phenomenally wealthy. And he is. If you, younger listeners, again, look up a picture of Flavio Briatore and then obviously look up a picture of the likes of Heidi Klum. Also put safe search on when you do that. Or don't, it could be interesting. But then look up like pictures of Heidi Klum and then compare and contrast the two and say, are these the sort of people you'd imagine to be dating or what reasons could conspire for them to be in a relationship? The biggest models of their time. Yes. As well. Yes. With a big model of his time. <laughs> he, he was a, yeah, he was a man of significant yeah. stature, shall we say, both physically and within Formula One. So I think that's a fair way of putting it. Anyway, we'll move on from the interesting sex life of Flavio Briatore to... Um, <laughs> Which is the title of this podcast. We, uh, we're going to have to rename the group. Please can we title it as that? I want to see how many kicks we get. We'll get banned from different all the platforms. We're renaming the group chat, though. No, we'll do S and star star, so you've got to fill in the blanks yourself. The, the inf- yeah, name the group chat that, please. I'm renaming it to that because it would just be funny <laughs> as anything, um, especially given what we've been talking about recently. But that's something that... In fact, no one will ever find out about that. I'm not sharing that. Um, we'll move on. Happens with Lincoln. Different. Now for something completely different. Previously at the Singapore Grand Prix. So this is the point where we get to go a little bit historical and I get to revel in my nerdy self. So we'll wind the clock back to 2019. We're at the 15th race of a 21 race calendar. God, can you remember race calendars were that short? Uh, so it's certainly been a while. Good old days. Ah, the good old days. So we're at Singapore and the question is how did that pan out? Well, Charles Leclerc took P1 uh, in qualifying with Hamilton, Vettel, Verstappen and Bottas behind filling out the top five. The rest of the grid was was about standard for that season. Danny Rick and George Russell uh, on the race start collided going into turn one. Danny Rick was starting from the back after being disqualified from uh, qualifying due to power usage infringements where he used too much power from his electrical system. So Renault doing dodgy things in Singapore. Notice a trend here, ladies and gentlemen. Um, Nico Hulkenberg and Carlos Sainz then also made contact. Of course, Hulkenberg at this point also driving for Renault. So again, not good news for Renault in Singapore. Uh, both Hulkenberg and Sainz uh, suffered punctures from their collision in Turn 5. All four drivers 
ended up in the pits at the end of the opening lap, all pitting for hard tyres. Sainz had a very slow stop and emerged pretty much a lap down, suffering from damage from his puncture. Uh, the lead pack also didn't race away from the field, as they sort of tend to do, and especially as we see these days, um, because they were conserving tyres and also monitoring engine temperatures. Singapore is a brutal circuit for tyre temp and engine temp. It is hot and humid. You'll have seen on social media prior to this all the drivers doing humidity and temperature training, or in Bottas's case, uh, just going into his personal sauna and having what looks like a nice time of it, really. He's got a funny hat on for it as well. It's worth looking up on his Instagram. Um, anyway, what the result of this was, was that the pack was quite bunched up. Um, Seb eventually undercut Charles Leclerc through the pit stops for the net lead of the race, and uh, Vettel cleared the pack far ahead faster than Charles and uh, eventually pulled away neatly when he regained the lead. But because obviously the front drivers pitted, this left the midfield to come through. At one point, this saw the late-stopping Antonio Giovinazzi leading the race. Um, which marked the first time a team other than Mercedes, Ferrari or Red Bull had led a race lap since Bottas led for Williams in the 2015 British Grand Prix. And You know, I just knew you'd get in a Giovinazzi reference somewhere when no one asked for it. I'm always getting in my boy Giovinazzi. Represent the Italians. Any mail Try back me up on this one. Uh, I'm sorry, I'm I'm getting lost in the life of Flavio. He was engaged to Naomi Campbell, and has a child with Heidi Klum. <laughs> that must be a weird one, trying to explain who your parents are at school. <laughs> Who's your dad? Flavio Briatore. Who's your mum? Heidi Klum. Nah. Get the fuck out of here. <laughs> I'm calling bullshit on that right here, right now. Anyway, back to Antonio Giovinazzi leading the Singapore Grand Prix, the important things. Um, first time that any drive, any team other than Mercedes, Ferrari or Red Bull had led a race lap since Williams in 2015 at the British Grand Prix, and the first time that Alfa Romeo had done so since Andrea de Cesaris led the 1983 Belgian Grand Prix. I think there's also a uh, premiere appearance on the podcast for Andrea de Cesaris, so uh, well done to him for finally making it on the podcast. Um, is he going to be aware of that, or is he dead? I feel I ought to Google that before we move on. Who are we talking about? Could you just quickly Google Andre de Cesaris? Spell it how you want. A-N-D-R-E-A space D-E. I know how to spell Andre. I don't Andre. think she's going to have Andre, <laughs> to be honest. I think it's more the de Cesaris part. <laughs> D-E space C-E-S-A-R-I-S. Andre. Must start with an X. Oh, hang on. No, that's silly. And Andre de Cesaris. See? Here we go. Uh, he died the 5th of October 2014. Oh, well. Only a short time ago, then. Yeah. Rest, rest, rest in peace, Andre de Cesaris, uh, lap leader at the Belgian Grand Prix in 1983. I think he won other things besides. Um, Ricardo would then crash into Giovinazzi uh, once the pitted cars retook <laughs> the lead. Um, this, no, that's Ricardo having his second crash of a race. You're beginning to see why people have a sort of hit and miss approach to the guy. Um, so and Singapore in general. Yeah, just a bad, just a bad time for Renault's and Ricciardo in uh, Singapore. Anyway, so he and Gio crashed and then pitted to uh, sort out the damage and get fresh tyres. On lap thirty-four, Roman Grosjean attempted to overtake George Russell around the outside of turn eight. Grosjean clipped the left rear of Russell's car, causing the Williams to swerve into the outside wall. This marked Williams' first retirement of the season and the first of George Russell's career as well, which is quite an interesting little fact. 
Uh, Lance Stroll at this point, not wanting to be outdone in the carnage, uh, clipped the wall and uh, gained a puncture in a front wing from that. So uh, at the same time, his teammate was also retiring somewhere else on the circuit with an oil leak. So a fun time to be a Force India supporter. Um, on lap 50, Daniel Kafiat attempted an overtake for 12th place on the inside of Kimi Raikkonen at turn one. The cars made contact, though, through their front wheels and the impact broke the suspension on Raikkonen's car. This brought out the third safety car of the race and it doesn't end there. After being overtaken by Robert Kubica and falling to last place, Kevin Magnussen made a pit stop at the end of lap 57, switched to the soft compound tyres, and then set the fastest lap of the race in a Haas. I think this is still the rich energy era of Haas as well, so it's sort of a bit of a wild picture that we're painting of this Grand Prix. Um, so, yeah, that's kind of interesting. With Leclerc finishing second, this was Ferrari's first 1-2 finish since the 2017 Hungarian Grand Prix, and the first time a team has ever recorded a 1-2 finish in Singapore. Uh, interestingly, though, going back to that Kevin Magnussen fastest lap, he does hold the lap record for a race around the circuit, although it was from 2018 with a slightly faster time. So congratulations to Kevin Magnussen, still the fastest man around the Singapore circuit. So... Um, yeah, that's that's ha what happened last time out, and likely is probably going to repeat itself in some some format. Uh, the question is, who does the circuit favour historically? The circuit arrived on the calendar in two thousand eight as an FIA certified calendar, but was modified after twenty seventeen, which doesn't give us a huge amount of data. But it was only a small change; it was just a bit of reprofiling to some turns. So we'll work as far back as twenty thirteen, where the last big change came from. They removed a chicane at that point. This gives us seven races with one win for Red Bull, two for Ferrari, and four for Mercedes. German drivers have good history here, with Seb having the two Ferrari wins and the Red Bull win, with Rosberg taking the twenty sixteen win for Mercedes. The remaining wins are Lewis Hamilton. Uh, the question is, what does that mean these days? Well, drivability up the slow corners is still a Ferrari strong point, and the higher downforce nature of the track will seem a bit closer to Red Bull. If they can run well in qualifying, they could prove to be tricky to pass. Plus, we haven't seen the Red Bulls working in very hot conditions since Bahrain, where they did suffer those fueling issues. So it'll be interesting to see how they get on in FP1 and what tweaks we see being made to the cooling systems. Look out for spy and pit lane photographs on the social medias. Um, um, as Albert Fabregas, I want to say on Twitter, is brilliant at spotting uh, side pod and cooling tweaks. So he's a he's a chap worth looking up online to see who's running what cooling packages. Um, and then obviously Mercedes might be in with a chance this weekend of some decent points as the lower top speeds of the circuit bring them back into contention with Red Bull and the red team. It's anyone's race this. Well, I say anyone's. It's not Aston Martin's probably. So it's have to take something quite dramatic for Aston Martin to be in contention for a race win this weekend, I think. But that does neatly lead into the carnage that is always our predictions. And better late than never, we do have a guest joining us for these predictions in Valentina Pano, also known as La Chica de la F1. Welcome to the podcast. How are you? Thank you so much. I'm really happy to be here. Excuse me for my English because I know I speak like Latino United States English, so it's quite different. But I'm really happy to be here. I never imagined being invited to a podcast in United Kingdom that is where Formula One began. So it's really exciting for me to be here with you guys today. It was a pleasure for us to have you. And um, we always like to go a bit different on this podcast. So we're more than happy to have you on here. <laughs> yeah, welcome to our pokey <laughs> little podcast, as uh, to purloin a phrase from the television. So, predictions time anyway. Pole position, I'm going to go straight out the gates with a bold prediction. And 
it just, just happens to coincide with Valentina being here that I've gone with Sergio Perez, this kind of a theme forming already. But I don't know. It's He's done all right there in the past-ish, kind of. I don't know. I'm just hoping Singapore's crazy and Perez could do something. And I'm looking for something exciting to happen in the last six races. And I'm probably, we know my track record for predictions. It's not good, but Perez. Perez for pole. You really reckon Perez on pole? <laughs> but you... But, you know, I actually don't think he's crazy because, you know, Checo, as we call him here in Latin America, um, I think he's not crazy because Checo's really good at straight circuits. It's like one of his strengths. He's been good in Baku. He did pole on Saudi Arabia, so it's not that crazy. Um, but right now, he's not in such a good moment. So that was why, <laughs> why I didn't choose him. You but didn't I need to say that part crazy, of it. You, know? just, you were fine before, though. It's all good. <laughs> But, you know, I think it's not that crazy. I think it's something that might happen. I don't think it's going to happen, but it's not that crazy. <laughs> so two things on that one, actually. First of all, she's done the research that I didn't do. So I'm glad she backed my point up very nicely there. <laughs> second, you can come back on the podcast if you're agreeing with me like that. So this is excellent. It's going very well. Oh, Jesse, okay. who are you having for, for pole position? <laughs> I'm playing it pretty by the book. I'm going to go Charles Leclerc. I reckon he's he's had a pole before around Singapore. He's got a competitive car again this year. And I reckon that he's got determination to really try and pull back this season, which he can do. Statistically, he can pull it back without relying too much on Max Verstappen not scoring points. So the determination's there, the drive's there, the means, motive and opportunity are all there. He can do this. However, Danny May, you've decided to go in the other route one direction. Yeah, I've gone for Max Verstappen, mainly because I think that he's the person who's got the least pressure on him to do well. At the minute, he's probably just going to have a bit of fun. And yeah, he, um, well, most qualifying sessions, he does well anyway. He always puts in 100%. So He's definitely going to be up there. There's also a place that hasn't always been kind to Max and Red Bull, especially in the past. So it could be quite interesting to see that maybe it's a pole position, but not a race win. Who knows? But again, Valentina, a completely different driver for you. Who have you chosen and why? Yeah, I've chosen Carlos Sainz. Um, it's not because he's, he's Hispanic, I'm Colombian, so it's not because of that. But I really think he's really good at street circuit. He has a good preparation for Singapore. Uh, he actually, I don't know if you guys have been to Madrid, but in Madrid, there's like a car team called Carlos Sainz. And it's really similar to Singapore. And he actually does a lot of starting there in order for preparing for this kind of race. So, you know, it's one of his favorite races. And I think he's in a really good moment right now. So I think he, he can definitely win Charles Leclerc, that's cool. Going off of that as well, have you seen all the hard work that Carlos Sainz has been putting in whilst there? He's been putting a lot of hard yeah. work. Sauna <laughs> sessions, all that kind of gyming, hot temperature. So yeah, he's been preparing kind of well. Better than Max Verstappen and Lando Norris, I think. <laughs> well, Lando's been yeah. too busy DJing, so I'm not really sure what that's preparing him for race-wise anyway. After party, and Verstappen's he wins. been <laughs> dancing to his DJing, so... Which is as smooth a transition as we can possibly hope for for a podium prediction there. It's not, but we're just going to ride with it. Uh, myself, I'm going to embrace the craziness of Singapore and say that this could be the race for Mercedes to catch a win, but just because they capitalise on carnage, maybe. 
George Russell win, Sergio Perez second, Lewis Hamilton in third. I I don't like my chances either, but at the same time, it's Singapore. Anything can happen. And as we saw from your rundown of previous Grand Prix just now, Jesse, you can't rule it out. No, you can't rule it out. But at the same time, I'm kind of glad that you've gone for, again, your usual sort of wacky and wild predictions because I'm losing at the moment in the predictions challenge. So I could deal with you to not score points while I at least score some. So if it looks like I've played anything a bit straightened down the line this week, it's because I'm just being competitive in a competition with no prize to it. But yeah, that's a pretty standard Timo podium there. Which you're saying you've gone pretty route one. Who have you gone for? Uh, Yeah, Verstappen win, Charles Leclerc second, Carlos Sainz third. I can see it happening. Just it's a logical choice, really. If it point. happens in an exciting way, I can accept it. Oh, I yeah. When we get to my world prediction, I guarantee you there's going to be some excitement across the weekend. I don't necessarily think the top three are going to be exciting. I don't like your world prediction, but we'll get to that in a minute. Eddie May, who do you predict is going on the podium? Uh, Max Verstappen wins. I've put Perez second for the exact reason that Valentina perfectly said in that he did a really good pole position lap in Saudi Arabia so and he, he was just unlucky in Saudi I think if I remember rightly so I think it was the pit stop of the safety in. car I think that screwed him there yeah so I think he should hopefully be quite good in Singapore and then George Russell's the third because Mercedes always somehow end up on a podium they do at the moment, and it's increasingly more George Russell, which is something that Ellie May absolutely loves if you've listened to this podcast on a regular basis. Uh, Valentina, who are you predicting is going to be on the podium for this weekend? Well, I think the first place is kind of easy right now. I think basically everybody's going to bet for that driver right now. So definitely Max Verstappen is going to win the race. Second, I think it's going to be Carlos Sainz, because what I told you, he's really good at this kind of circuit and has a really nice preparation. I think it's going to be third for Checo. I think Checo's going to make it to the podium. I think it's going to be really good for him because he needs that confidence back, you know? After a few bad races, he needs to be back on the podium. I don't think he has, you know, that, not ability, but that moment to be able to fight Max in the situation Max is, you know, without pressure, driving really well. But I think it's going to make it to the podium. And I don't have Leclerc because, well, we're going to talk about it later. <laughs> I think as well, to go off your point with Sainz second, despite all the training and everything, he has more recently as well been making his own strategy a bit at Ferrari instead of listening to them. So maybe that would be helpful for him. And, like and the pit stops. Yeah, exactly. The pit stops, Sainz pit stops with Ferrari have been like really bad pit stops. <laughs> Yeah, we won't talk about that. We'll move on to fastest lap. I think we don't need to relive relive that nightmare from again. Fastest lap. I am weirdly also sticking with Sergio Perez. I just feel like it's his weekend. I don't know. It's I appear to be. I made these predictions a little while ago, but I'm going to stick with them. Again, I think if he's it's Singapore is a hard place to get a lead and keep it consistently big lead. But at the same time, I think that is more of an incentive for every driver to push them. And I think as a result of that checker, like we say, street circuits, he's good there. One at Monaco, pole in Saudi, one at Baku last year. Singapore is the next one on his list, so why not get fastest lap? And he's one of the one of two drivers, I think, who can mathematically stop Max in the championship. And whilst it's unlikely that he will, 
this extra point couldn't hurt and maybe it would be a bit amusing if this is how Charles does get past Max because there is a point he could have had and Checo is the one that got it. That's an interesting argument. I'll give you that one. And it'd be fun to see it come down to one point where Sergio Perez stole the fastest lap off Max Verstappen. Especially given how much he helped him win the championship last year. Yeah especially, <laughs> yeah, especially given how much Velvin Candy played just in the final race, at least. Um, I've gone, again, pretty down the line, fastest lap Max Verstappen. If I put him down for a race win, I can see him steaming away a little bit. I reckon if Red Bull can find a way, especially through the early practice sessions of monitoring their tyres and metering them out through the session, they could probably find a way of extracting really quick lap time without degrading them too much or sort of swapping to a harder tyre that isn't good. Well, I can see them running mediums quite a lot for some reason because I can reckon they'll be soft enough. They don't have to absolutely hammer them. We can run a lower downforce setup, yada, yada, ergo save tyres, and that will give them a really easy fastest lap, if anything. I don't know if it'll be enough to beat the Kevin Magnussen super speed record around the circuit, but it'll be enough to at least bag fastest lap for this race. So does bother the mind that a half still has the fastest lap for a race around Singapore. Yeah. It just shows how truly crazy it is though. Yeah, it is a slightly bonkers circuit that a half still holds the fastest lap record there. I think Haas will have a few records for all sorts of things. I think if you ignore the Mercedes from 2020, um, Roman Grosjean had the fastest lap in Spa in Spain, even so. Bizarre, bizarre. What is even more bizarre, Ellie, mate? We agree on first as well. Yes, I've also gone for Sergio Perez. For, Why? Well, what? Well, for everything that we've already said, I think for Fair some, enough. I said for a lot some of sensible reason, things. Yes, for or some reason. Did my <laughs> yes, for some reason, we've all just decided to come together and agree that. Sergio Perez is going to do really well, which means we've probably jinxed him. I'd say, in an attempt to triple jinx where it goes well, Valentini, you've also said fastest lap Sergio Perez, <laughs> so maybe there is hope for us after all. I'm actually a bit surprised because I never thought the old guy would say Sergio Perez, <laughs> so it's kind of surprising for me. But my reason is because I think that Max Verstappen, you know, but like, you know, that fight with Carlos Sainz is going to be really tight so I don't think he's gonna have time you know for actually you know focusing on doing the fastest lap so we have already seen that a lot from Red Bull beating beating Checo for getting the, the fast lap so I really think that's what, what are they going to do and yes I think that's that's what's going to happen it's like in my mind you know but Singapore always surprises us with its safety cars and all that stuff so it's usually a bit of a crazy race so anything can happen very I much so that's... and that does oh go on uh, i was just gonna say i think that's crucially it that if perez say he isn't doing well that and ferrari really are and either leclerc or signs have got that fastest lap red bull are undoubtedly gonna pit Perez for that fastest lap just to get that point off of Ferrari. I'm gonna say Christian Horner keeps saying that he's not counting his eggs until they've hatched, even though they're leading the constructor championship is monumental, but it is exactly their kind of out for blood mentality constantly that they will want to make sure that they don't win by a little bit, they win convincingly. And this is exactly the kind of thing they would do to ensure that they hammer the point home to Ferrari. Mm. I mean, Chris, from last year that every point counts. <laughs> yes. 
yeah, they don't want to be coming into the last race this year sort of tied on points. But equally, I think with Red Bull, their eggs haven't yet hatched, but you can actually hear cheaping coming from them. So it's it's not necessarily a far gone conclusion, but it's it reminds me more of the egg from Jurassic Park where you're just starting to see the little eye of the raptor coming out. <laughs> poking through. Yeah, you can see it sort of cracking. It's gonna take Alan Grant to come along and just help the top off of it. Anyway, um going from that slightly wild uh, tangent to wild predictions, Timo. Yeah, you go with this one, Gold. It's true. This is this is to justify all of everything else I've said because this helps us a lot. Um, history is going to repeat itself, specifically 2017, and it's going to be a, a homage to that where two Ferraris and a Red Bull all get taken out immediately before we even get past lap one, turn one. Except this time we Charles, Carlos, and Max all taking each other out and leaving the race wide open, not only for my crazy podium, but for a potential lot of other craziness, which could lead to McLaren and Alpine having quite a tasty tussle for that fourth place in the Constructors' Championship. I think it just, I mean, as much as we want to see Charles call back some points, we don't trust Ferrari as a team enough to make it happen. So if he's going to get taken out, we might as well do it early on and rip the band-aid off and just get on with the racing. And that is my that is my brutal logic there, Jesse. It's a pretty sound logic, I'll give you that. But I mean, again, this says a lot about how weirdly seriously I'm taking the predictions challenge because I've just gone. There will be a red flag incident straight yeah, up. I don't like I don't like this because you're just too broad for Singapore. Red yeah, flag. I agree. No, previously, I, I think that that's broad. so normal. It's so normal to have a red Even... flag. I mean, that's not a wild prediction. That's like a normal <laughs> prediction for Singapore. I mean, you're being what in Spanish we call civil. You're doing like the easy way. You're being, you know, I'm just going to go for the easy choice because it's not okay. going to happen. Right. I'll mix it up. I'm going to say, Ellie, mate, I think we're in agreement here. Valentina can come back any time. Yeah? Yeah. <laughs> I'll mix it up. I'll say there won't be a red flag incident. Given what we saw with Monza and the fact that we didn't see a red flag when really one should have been flown because we don't want to end the race like we did in sort of with all that sort of malarkey. I can guarantee they're going to be a little too, they're going to probably not learn their lesson as Formula One and the FIA seems to have a habit of doing, not learn their lesson, not fly a red flag when there really needs to be one and we'll have tractors moving around on circuit with cars dangling from with cars going past it, which we know to be unsafe, but the Formula One, it's just going to persevere with that regardless and we won't see a red flag. There you are. There's the wild prediction. F1 doesn't matter. Ellie May, what is your wild prediction? Latifi isn't going to crash in the race. And if he does, it's not going to be through his own fault. When we say his fault, though, are we counting mechanical with the car? If Never the wheel falls off and spits that's not, his, ball, fault. not his fault. Well, yeah, but it's still... Are we, are we making the distinction between it's someone punting him off or is it the car or are we doing no. both of those? So, like isn't his fault is like mechanical issue or like someone hitting him things like that yeah. and obviously the crash I'm, just get, I'm just getting this done because next week if this happens we'll have an argument and i don't want to i want to be able to go back to it and say look it'll be very neat at <laughs> that point oh, where we're sort of looking back at the replay and going does he drop it before kevin magnuson runs into him or is he or does kevin magnuson run into him and then the crash happens it will be sort of watching it back in split frames i'll be watching every replay that is to make sure that it wasn't his fault 
just we'll see how you look, made the sky you, you see, with Karun <laughs> just winding it down slowly. It's sort of literally going frame by frame. If you look before he hits the wall, you can actually see that the front track rod's broken, so that's what caused him to crash. But the wall actually moves to him. Yeah. When he hits this wall, the track rod is already broken. But what about the wall he'd already hit? That's not the point. If you look at this wall <laughs> that he's about to hit, track rod's already broken. Okay, so basically next episode is going to be half of the of the hour analyzing that DC crash to make sure it's not his fault. Most of the time, one of those things you see on the History Channel at one o'clock in the morning, conspiracy theories, F1 style, with Nicholas Latifi. Yeah, most of this is usually arguments anyway. It's just the fact that this time it's going to be around why Latifi crashed as opposed to ha, Latifi crashed. Talking of crashing though, Valentina, what is your world prediction for this weekend? I think Leclerc is going to crash and he's not going to finish the race. Um, I don't know, I just feel like Fruit circuits are not strong circuits. Um, maybe Saudi Arabia was the only one good one he had because he was fighting till the end with Max. But Monaco wasn't good. Okay, it was not his fault, but it wasn't a good race for him. Baku, he didn't finish. So I don't know. I think it's going to be a really tough problem for him, the walls and everything. I just think he's going to crash. I have that feeling. <laughs> I had the same feeling in Baku. And it happened. Not a crash, but he didn't finish. So, <laughs> but he did get on the podium in Miami. So, yeah, yeah but that was but a car well, park, yeah. not a street circuit. It's really different, Miami. Yeah, I mean, Miami is a bit different from the other kind of street circuits, you know. I'd like to say that we talked a lot beforehand to coordinate our attacks against you, Jesse, but this is just happening naturally and I'm loving it. No, all you're doing is going out and finding people who sort of have a similar viewpoint to you and just inviting them onto the podcast just to sort of berate me, isn't it? That's all this is. You've got no proof of this. This is why you Uh, find out when it's just Ellie and I against you. This is why you go off and find the guests, isn't it? Ish posh. Anyway, before we wrap up, I feel like we should ask Valentina what her thoughts have been on the season so far and what she's most looking forward to happening in the last six races. Well, I think it's been like a really exciting season. Many people will. They have in mind what happened last season, you know, like all this polemic stuff, uh, Max, Hamilton, and many people, many of my followers on Instagram and TikTok, they are like, oh no, this is not such a good season because we don't have the fight but that was more because of the outside fight you know outside of raising everything that was going on on the media but this season has been you know like much more competition even though Max has been leading you know quite easily and we have had, like really good races like Hungary and many good races Silverstone was amazing I mean it's been like a really good season and I think like these new rules are really helping the sport. We're having a, at least, you know, like at the middle table, we're having much more, uh, I don't know how to say, like it's much closer than before. And this second part of the season, we have seen like a Red Bull that's been more dominant than the other part of the season. And I think it's quite, you know, I feel quite sorry because all of the mistakes that Ferrari made Without that, we could have had, like, right now, a much, you know, like, definition, much closer, a really good fight between Max and Charles. But overall, I think it has been, like, a really exciting season. Um, many good races. Max seen such a huge level. And Ferrari kind of showing that they are not, I don't want to sound it 
sweet to sound that you guys are not Italian, you guys are British, so I think it's going to be fine. But I think Ferrari is not anymore a top team, you know, since Michael Schumacher left, they forgot how to fight for championships. All the mistakes they did with Alonso, with Vettel, now with Leclerc, you know, it's not only Binotto, it's been like, you know, like a constant for the last years. So I think it's really sad, uh, the situation, and I really hope next year Ferrari, you know, can actually set up a bit, a little, and Mercedes should be back because Because I think there's not, you know, like a rival as Mercedes. Mercedes is a really great team. This year they didn't have the car, but they're always there to compete. And I think we need Mercedes back in the fight. And that's going to make, of course, things much better for this season now. I think to go for what you're saying as well, that the mistakes that Ferrari have been making, it's all of their own doing. It's not they've had bad luck because someone's crashed into them or there's been some massive craziness all through the pit lane it's always just them it's always their own strategy and it's it, that consistent thing and they don't have anyone else to blame except themselves yeah and it's always them but it's funny because there's always like different things you know sometimes it's a bit stop sometimes it's um the power unit that doesn't work out sometimes it's the pilot as we saw with Leclerc in France with Leclerc in Spain So, you know, there's always like a bad thing that happens, but it's always them fault. So <laughs> it's really funny and it's really sad because we could be right now enjoying a really great definition. And I think we, I think everybody says that, well, I think Singapore match winning is going to be hard because a lot of things need to happen and he needs to win. Yeah, he's going to crash but on I that think, one. We, we talked about this. <laughs> yeah, well, but, but Checo is going to do great. So... So that's going to stop him from winning in, in Singapore. So I think it's going to be in Japan. I, like my bet is Japan with Honda and all this stuff. So I really think it's going to be in Japan. I did say on a previous podcast. You're going to win in Japan with Honda. That's, that's what's going to happen there. Oh, you guys say Honda, <laughs> not Honda. <laughs> Sorry, I pronounced it the Spanish way. <laughs> I did say in a previous podcast, I think when we were sort of taking bets on when we think Verstappen was going to wrap up the championship, I did say it could be as early as Japan. So at least... We can agree on two things there. Like Valentino and I are on the same page with Yeah, with we can finally agree on something. <laughs> wrapping this up in Japan, which would be quite interesting. But we've got that that's all still to come, really. Which uh yeah. But, uh, that is unfortunately all we have time for in this episode, but we will be back soon reviewing the Singapore Grand Prix to find out how much of what we've actually just talked about is actually accurate. If it's anything to go by from previous reviews, then uh 50-50. Yeah, I'd say that's about fair. Yeah, 50-50 every time. In the 50% meantime, of the time it works every time. <laughs> every time. In the meantime, if you want to find me elsewhere, aside from on this podcast, you can see me over on Is It Fast, my On The Curve podcast, the Nitro RX podcast, Paddock Sorority, and Instagram. I am all over the place. Jesse, where can people find you? Uh, I can be found across Instagram and Twitter and when I'm not at car shows or racing circuits, uh, sat in an office in Peterborough producing Classic Car Weekly, which is worth buying because uh, look after print media. It'll look after you. Get a subscription down in Colombia maybe soon. I don't know if we've shipped to Colombia. <laughs> worth looking for it. Anyway, where can people find you in the meantime? Uh, you can find me on the Undercut Podcast Instagram page where I may or may not do my key takeaways. You just have to find out. It's like a She's surprise every time. At the yes. 
we do have oh. a plan for restructuring that bear in mind though so you might you might start seeing more key takeaways appearing so yeah Put that out there. <laughs> you're still good valentina where can people find you if they want to see more of you Okay, people can find me as Latika. Uh, I don't know if you spell it or you guys get it, but it's we'll Latika stick it in the description. La... Don't worry. <laughs> Latika de la F1 in Instagram and in TikTok. It's one of the biggest accounts in TikTok Latin America, so it will be really nice. All, all the videos are in Spanish, but it will be a nice way to learn Spanish, so you guys can go there <laughs> to practice your language. <laughs> If that's not a perfect way to finish off the podcast, we should really have had one for Mexico. We need to plan this better for next time, but we'll, we'll sort that out. And in the meantime, do keep an eye out for our Singapore Grand Prix review that'll be out next week. And we also have an interview with W Series' Bianca Bustamante, which is on the Instagram page as of right now. So go and check that out as well. Until next time, though, enjoy the Singapore Grand Prix and we'll talk to you again soon. Bye.